0: Thanks for tuning in to the Loser Kid Pinball Podcast. We are on episode 98 with me, my co-captain as always. Scott Larson. And you know, Christmas time is right around the corner and we wanted to bring you a Christmas episode and we didn't think, it, we couldn't think of anything better than to have the guys that are bringing out a Christmas pinball machine Well, Absolutely. for Christmas, right? Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's not Christmas theme, but it's coming out right before Christmas.
1: Well, it, it could be. I mean, did someone announce
0: Nightmare Before Christmas?
1: That seems like it
0: would be up their (laughs) alley. But if you want to buy the new Scooby-Doo Where Are You pinball machine, where can you get it from now, Scott? Well, you can get it from Flippin' Out Pinball because Zach is
1: now a distributor for Spooky. And so you can definitely contact him and see about all his product. Uh, It is Christmas time, so people are rushing to get those last-minute gifts. But he certainly has some things available and the pre-order for Scooby Doo if that's uh, if that's something that uh, that's scratching a niche for you and speaking of Scooby Doo um uh, who do we have on
0: today Josh we have a man that has grown up in the industry that has done a fantastic job of taking something so small from a small town and creating it on a world scale this is bug from spooky pinball how you doing bug
2: i'm doing great guys thank you for having me on
0: Definitely, we've wanted to have you on for a bit now. I, I know that we ran to you at Expo. And it's like paths haven't crossed very often, and uh, it, it was great timing. Now that you've got Scooby Doo out to have you come on and give us a little chit chat.
1: Yeah, absolutely. I want to reference. By the way, if you want the in depth interview on um, Spooky and Scooby Doo, where are you? Uh, Zach actually did a great one on the Pinball Show, and so uh, we'll ask some of the same questions. But I I will also refer you to that episode. Uh, for maybe some in-depth in follow-up on that. So uh, this will be a companion piece to that. So first off, I you've always done, I guess, spooky-type themes. I mean, that's the whole point of uh, Spooky Pinball is trying to... Uh, you guys are huge horror fans, huge, uh, huge monster stuff. And so how did this fit into your wheelhouse? And at what point did you decide you wanted to do it?
2: Right. So, I mean... It's funny, because like in my mind, Scooby-Doo is quite literally the most ideal theme for our company. Like, It makes the most sense. It checks all the boxes, because it hits a very wide audience. It's still very spooky-related. Obviously, every episode's about catching monsters. The score is very scary-sounding. And it also hits nostalgia. Everybody grew up with it and remembers it from when they were a kid. So, I mean, it, it made perfect sense to go do. And Spooky Pinball in general has kind of been in an interesting position where we try and hit very kid-friendly things and then super adult things. So like Mm -hmm. we go from Rob Zombie where we can go as hardcore as possible. And then we go to Alice Cooper where it's still scary, but completely family-friendly. Like there's no swearing, no violence, nothing in Alice Cooper. And uh, we like kind of bouncing back and forth between that and like coming off of Halloween, which is obviously more in the hardcore area of horror, Mm -hmm. uh, going into a, a wide released family theme made a lot of sense as well, and then yeah, of course, just with it being still spooky-related, fun, family-friendly game, it, it just checked every single box that it needed to.
0: You you brought up Alice Cooper, and I, I've kind of heard this a couple times, and I bet you've heard this already, Bug. I'm I'm hearing comparisons of the art scheme to Alice Cooper. Is that intentional, or is that just kind of a happy coincidence?
2: I would say a bit of a happy coincidence. I mean, we're using one of the same artists that did all of Alice Cooper. So Jeff now did the whole entire Alice Cooper game. And then he was, of course, involved on the Scooby-Doo game as well. He did all the cabinet artwork. Um... Otherwise, I mean, I've heard comparisons about the layouts being similar. They're they're incredibly different layouts. They shoot very differently. Um there is castle walls in the center, which I could definitely see the similarities there. But um it it just made perfect sense for the game and it's we definitely didn't reuse anything. It's all still brand new custom made. Sculpts everywhere in the game, but uh, I mean, just, yeah, I, the, there's definitely influence drawn from Alice Cooper uh, visually because I, I think up until Scooby-Doo, Alice Cooper is probably our most visually impressive game we've ever done.
0: Yes, it is a very beautiful game. It's and, and fun, too. I do enjoy Alice Cooper.
1: And uh, so I'm going on with that. There are lots of different versions of Scooby-Doo that have been out there. I right? mean, really, the stuff I grew up with is actually ultimately what you, uh, what you put in the game. Um, but there are new versions. There's new movies. Uh, I actually saw a terrible one with Elvira. <laughs> 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 that, that, that was an interesting, uh, interesting movie uh, to watch. But um, so how did you choose which era of Scooby-Doo that you wanted to portray?
2: It is interesting because you would think that every generation's favorite edition of Scooby-Doo would be the one that was being made when they were a kid. You would think that would be the case, but it it just seemed like everybody unanimously in our entire team likes the originals the best. I mean, I'm the youngest member of the team, obviously, and I always watched the originals growing up. And then... People like like my dad, who is in his 50s, he also watched the originals when he was growing up. There's just something about those original two seasons that is just the ultimate Scooby-Doo experience. But that being said, we still drew lots of influence from other series because I think um, the writing in a lot of the later shows for specific characters is is really really great and and much funnier so we tried taking the funniest elements that we could from other series and putting them into just mostly that original series because like i said it's just unanimously the whole team agreed that it was everybody's favorite
0: so wait did you just say there's only two seasons to the original series
2: yeah so the original scooby-doo where are you there's there's technically three seasons but they called the third season something different but it's really just two seasons it's like I want to say a total of 27 episodes total but like every single episode is so classic and so iconic like we we seriously you, you can't lose choosing what episodes to put into the game because everybody recognizes all of the monsters from those episodes
0: definitely well it just throws me for a loop because I'm like you think of Scooby Doo I mean I grew up on it and stuff and it's just like I felt like there was endless episodes of Scooby-Doo. And then they had Scooby-Doo with celebrities and they had Scooby-Doo. It just, there's Scooby-Doo everything. So it it kind of blows my mind. There was only two-ish seasons. Yeah. That's weird.
2: Yeah. And that original run.
1: (laughs) (laughs) What I'm wondering is at what point did they transition? Because I I will say I I am of the camp that I'm really glad that Scrappy-Doo was never in this. Because every (laughs) single episode that had Scrappy-Doo, I just wanted to turn off just because it seemed, it, it just wasn't my thing. So it's, uh, you know, at what point do they, it, it does seem a little bit like in shows when they're trying to maintain their relevance is they'll bring in guest things. Like I remember the Harlem Globetrotters being on Scooby-Doo like a few times and just, just randomly, I think Cass Elliott was on there. I mean, just, all these guests. And then you had, then you add like uh scrap you wants to get in fights. He's like the only one who actually wants to get in fights. Um, and so I, I don't know, I-, I guess that's interesting how they kept doing that, but everybody still just wants to go back to the original.
2: Yeah, no, it's, it's very interesting. I mean, even if you watch the live action movies mm-hmm. where in the sequel, they bring back a whole bunch of monsters that the gang has defeated in the past. A majority of them are literally the characters from those first couple seasons. It was actually Mm. when we rewatched that movie, we felt very um, very confident in the decision of what we chose because we're like, even when they're making the live actions, they're going back and they're choosing minor 49er and Captain Cutler and and these other monsters. So it's, it just makes all the sense in the world to go with the ones that we did. And I'm very happy we did. You, you
0: spoke a little bit of going from adult theme to kid theme and back and forth, back and forth. But if I heard you correctly on your Q&A last week or the week before, did you mention there was an adult mode in the Scooby-Doo that you can turn on?
2: <laughs> so it's, a, I don't want to spoil the joke because it's such a good joke, but um, okay, in the menu, there's a a setting for adult mode. You can go and try and turn it on and just watch what happens. Oh, okay. <laughs> All right. I, and I'll let people just find out for themselves because it's funny. It's a good joke. But but yeah,
1: I was wondering, I mean, since you guys have the history of Adult Swim, uh, obviously with Rick and Morty, um, it's I, you've seen the Venture Brothers, right? Are you familiar with the Venture Brothers?
2: Adventure Brothers. The, the Venture Aven- Brothers. The the Venture- Venture. I'm not familiar. No. Oh, OK, you need to go watch this.
1: I'll send you a clip. There's actually um, the Venture Brothers. This is something that really would be up your alley because they're kind of a joke version of Johnny Quest. And, and are you familiar with Johnny Quest? I mean, it's the same era as uh, Scooby-Doo. Where are yeah,
2: you? Yeah, I'm, I'm more familiar with Johnny Quest. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. OK, so uh, this is like an inept. Sci- it, this is the son of an inept scientist with two kids and then like a uh, a pilot uh, bodyguard thing. And they go through and it it's certainly along the lines of Rick and Morty, uh, maybe not as blue, but just that way. And there is a cameo episode where they have like characters that are very Scooby-Doo-esque on there and is one of the
0: funniest things I've ever seen. <laughs> so he was thinking the whole the awesome. whole adult mode was just going to be Venture Brothers.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, I thought it was going to be the oh, Venture sure. Brothers doing, doing Scooby Doo because
2: it's we like a, yeah. a separate license. Yeah, yeah. no, you yeah, turn she... on adult mode and Rick shows up from Rick and Morty and he starts like solving mysteries with the dog. Yeah. <laughs> <No, that's, laughs> no. that, that
0: would be awesome. Oh, yeah, that's great.
1: <laughs> so is there a pickle, is there a pickle Rick mode in this one? <laughs> <laughs>
2: Scooby turned himself into a pickle.
1: And, no. <laughs> okay, so the approach you uh, you decide this is a license this fits with our um, with, with our themes that we like to do, and you you said that you had a relationship with Hanna Barbera because you have done work with them before, I and mean, they they're under the big umbrella that have, has Adult Swim, correct?
2: Well, work with Warner Brothers because um, okay, Warner. Okay, great. Yeah, we we've done the Jetsons before with Warner Brothers, and then Warner Brothers also adopted Adult Swim while we were in the middle of building Rick and Morty. So, yeah, already a very established relationship with them.
1: Now, it's always challenging when you're integrating assets now versus even in the 80s or 90s, where like the DMD, you had just you know some sort of grainy dots. Um, a lot of times they didn't really have the voices of the actors. I people nowadays they expect to have um, basically video assets, including uh, including visual representation of the character, audio representation of the character, and how challenging was that to make sure? Hey, we can't like spend you know, $5,000 on a license alone, because all these people want uh, their piece, but still want to be able to have enough that it feels like Scooby-Doo.
2: Right. Yeah. I, I can't emphasize enough how much the LCD screen has increased the workload of pinball. It is a whole different ball game now than it was literally ball game. That's funny. (laughs) A whole Mm -hmm. different game now than it was, you know, however many years ago it was probably six, seven now. But, um, it's uh that's just something you kind of try to look at when you're working on licenses or obtaining them is what do you actually get when you sign with it and we knew with scooby-doo that we would be getting access to all of the original clips and uh we we know how far that goes Uh, having full access to original series clips from the show like that's absolutely massive in making this game really feel tied together for us for for really showing that world that we want. Uh that being said, we're we're learning to overcome when that is less available because there's a lot of really fantastic games out there like Jurassic Park and Parts of the Caribbean that don't have a ton of video assets. Right. Like if you watch Pirate the Pirates of the Caribbean game, it's one of my favorite games of all time. There there's really not much for film assets in it though. So it's 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 definitely a hurdle that uh we're we're working past on how can you still make as good of a game as Jurassic Park and as Pirates of the Caribbean with less assets, but we also got super lucky on this one, and we have a ton of assets from the show. So uh, I hope that answered your question.
1: Yeah, no, that, that's exactly what I was going off. And you even to to dovetail on that, um, the voice actors um, you went and got the people you know who have been with Scooby Doo for years to actually re-record some of these voices and record the call out. So how was that? How did that come about? And, and how was that?
2: Uh, literally Warner Brothers sent us a list. They were like, hey, these are the approved actors that you can use for uh, your product. So you can, these are all our proof, like Fred's, Shaggy's, Scoobies, Velma's, Daphne's. And um, we, we looked at the list and we, we, at first we were like, man, it'd be really cool if we got Shaggy and Scooby, like that would be, that'd be a lot. Like that that would go a really long ways. And we just kind of kept reaching out and trying. And we had a few contacts already, like our foot in the door with a few of the actors uh, through various agents and whatnot that we've just befriended over the years and uh, started asking around and seeing what could be made possible. And we kind of were like, well, it looks like we might be able to go and just get all of the actors. I mean, why not like go big or go home it's it's scooby-doo like we need to throw absolutely everything at this that we can like we can't just have two members of the gang because then everybody's gonna be like well where's daphne where's velma it's like okay well then we'll get velma and then we gonna be like we can't just get velma and not daphne so mm-hmm. it, it kind of ended up being like wait no there's there's no option here we have to get them all and the fact that we actually got these specific ones that I wanted from the beginning, like we we never had to make any concessions. Those were our first choices for all of the actors. And and I I still can't believe it came together and worked (laughs) because nothing ever works that well. (laughs) The first try, like every time you have a plan like that, it doesn't just work that (laughs) well the first time. Usually it takes a few revisions and you end up with something kind of different, but we got very lucky and, and working with them was fantastic. They were the most outstanding professional actors we've ever gotten to work with, I would say.
0: And I've actually met Matthew Lillard in person before, and he's a he's a great guy. I know that you said that you kind of snuck some scream lines in there. Did you happen to sneak yeah. any other lines in there from any of his other movies or –
2: No, I tried not to overdo it too much. I I actually I really tried with each character to sneak in lines from something else that they've done just because I I find things like that really fun. I like the opportunity to hear, you know, iconic voices say things from other stuff like, like, like having Frank Welker do some of his call outs from other things that he's been in. Is it, I I am kind of a dork for things like that. I think it's really fun. But uh, with Matthew, Matthew Lillard, no, it was just scream lines mostly.
0: He's he's very famous in Utah amongst the punk scene because he did SLC Punk. So I was just curious if if uh, any of that made it into there. But that might not be very family friendly either. So <laughs> yeah, I don't think that yeah. would be. <laughs>
2: yeah. It was hard because um. Uh, a very big fan of Garfunkel and Oats which is Kate McCucci's band, oh, Alma yeah. uh-huh. actress and finding yeah. dialogue to sneak from that <laughs> it's very hard because it is so opposite of kid friendly
1: it, it's very blue yes it's it's taking flight <laughs> of the Concords and taking it uh, well down a notch I guess <laughs> taking it, <laughs> taking it more blue
0: yeah yeah <laughs> so one thing I want to talk about is you you said this is your first wide body and you started out with the concept of kind of a standard because you wanted to, uh, not have the driftiness or the, the slowness of a wide body. And you expanded from that. Uh, how did you overcome some of, some of that, I guess, going from the standard to the white body? Cause I assume it still didn't line up perfectly once you, you dropped it in there.
2: Um, you know, it, it really wasn't too much to overcome because we, we had a, different plan in mind with how we were going to approach the wide body. Cause I believe uh, whenever people do wide bodies, they just add the three inches to like one side and then everything gets shifted over. Instead, we added it to either side. We just split the difference and, and used that extra real estate just to widen up some shots and to put more items in the game. So really the entrance of all the shots is, is still fits a standard body layout. It's just, where they go to from there gets into that wide body range. So I I can't say that it was honestly too hard, but that being said, we also have, I mean, our, the, the co-designer in this game, spooky Luke is an absolute machine when it comes to making white woods. He, I don't know how he's so accurate on his attempts each time, but he, he just is, he's insanely talented. It's a part of the process I wish people could see is like, his whitewoods are just beyond this world. Good.
1: <laughs> How many whitewoods do you have to, did you have to go through to come upon the layout that you, you were in love with?
2: Ooh, that's a good question. Uh, I would say like what the players see now, as far as all the shot entrances, that was probably set and agreed upon by the third revision of the game. Cause I mean, they're, we do quite a few revisions on each layout and we'll we'll still change shots later. But we knew like the core group of shots and, and roughly where they would be going hard catted into the game. Like we knew that probably by Rev three, I would say.
0: One concern that's been brought up is on the left side there's a double outlane. Does any of those outlanes feed back into the inlay at all through like a gate or something? Or are they both is it just a double outlane on the left side?
2: So it's a double outlane on the left side that spells rut row and if Uh-oh. you could spell Rout-row. yeah rut <laughs> and if you could spell out rut so if you hit each of them it gives you a ball save because uh i i like outlane games like an alien like the that second chance to oh if i can just nudge this the right way or change my inserts to where i want them to be i can get a quick ball save i, I love little things like that i think they add a lot to Compared when in normal games, if it just as soon as it hits that out lane, unless you death save, you know, you're toast. It's like I like the, the second chance when it comes to things like that.
0: Kind of similar to maybe like Toto on Wizard right. of Oz yeah, or yeah. or the Oxygen Destroyer on Godzilla. Yes. Kind Sim concepts. Yep, Exactly.
2: OK,
1: cool. Now, you cool. also put in some physical ball locks on the apron, Yes, which has hasn't been done in a while. So uh, why did you choose to go down there and have them feed up that way?
2: Um, it's we just we have a uh, obsession with putting locks and features in weird places. I we really love unorthodox things in pinball because we Stern puts out Stern layouts all year, every year. There's no point in us trying to do that, so we like to try and do things that are a bit weirder and more unorthodox to to be the odd one out, and we just like looking at things and going, well, nobody puts flippers here or nobody puts locks here or pop bumpers here. What if we did like, does that just ruin everything? Does it make it way cooler? Uh, what can we build upon from here? Cause it changes how you think about the rest of the game. And yeah, when you can, especially with ball locks, where it would take up a lot of real estate and a lot of visibility elsewhere. Putting it somewhere where nothing's going on anyway just makes a lot of sense. Cause, you know, if if it was somewhere out on the play field, like where the mystery machine is, if we had another ball lock out there like the mystery machine ball lock, then you know, we would be losing so much more real estate and visibility. And it's like, well, let's just put it somewhere where it's not in the way to begin with and builds upon what's there. Like make something cooler out of something that's just okay.
0: Well, and I like that you said that you're trying to do something unique and different. I know when we hadn't seen any reveal information yet on Scooby-Doo, but we knew it was for sure Scooby-Doo, people are starting to say, well, it's probably going to have a van like Teenage Mirror Turtles where the balls come out of the van. And I was like, well, we just saw that like not even a year and a half ago or two years ago. So mm-hmm. I like that you guys are trying to be unique outside the box because and one of the unique things that really catch my eye on this game is the upper bookcase shelf flipper. I don't think something like that has been done on pinball before. And it looks like it creates uh new gameplay strategies because of it.
2: Yeah. That, that bookcase flipper does some really wild things in gameplay. And uh, I don't think it's been done anywhere before either. So uh, I, we, we'll claim it. We'll say we did it first, but <laughs> somebody will definitely send me a photo of some random <laughs> game from 1979 that had it upside down in an a upper play field somewhere. But yeah uh it it definitely changes gameplay on that upper play field quite a bit because you can literally use the back end of it to catapult the ball around and when you're cradling the ball up there when you let go it's gonna throw it you can't just let go of your cradle and shoot like normal so it introduces a lot of chaos onto that upper play field but i also like giving players the ability to control when they're getting to the upper play field or not uh that was something we learned with Halloween with the topmost playfield. play field is people are like, how do I get up there? I want to get up there right away. And it's like, well, in Scooby, you can, you can shoot right up the center ramp. And if your bookcase, you just hold your bookcase flipper open. Now you're on there. If you don't want to be up there, you just don't open the bookcase flipper. It's entirely in the player's control as to how much they're getting on that upper play field.
0: Well, and I like the idea that you guys have introduced magnets and stuff up there as well. As part of your ghost and whatnot, I mean that that seems like a very packed upper playfield with the bookcase and the magnets and the even your mechs, even your even your your uh, sculpts are moving when they're getting hit and stuff. Yes, it's, 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 it's a lot going on up there.
2: I'm hoping it goes down as our best upper playfield yet because it it definitely has the most going on and the most features on an upper playfield that we've ever done. I see.
1: I'm counting up. There's one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, and the, are those all the villains that you have to collect?
2: Twelve. Like I,
1: I, well, I see the inserts. Uh, well, I guess the uh, in the middle of the playfield, there's uh-huh. all the bad guys that are there. So, yeah. is the is the plan of the game to go through and like collect them all, and then you know, kind of like a, I, I'm thinking of Monster Bash, where you get the band together and then you do stuff.
2: It's funny you made that comparison cuz originally we were going to light up the monsters on the playfield like in Monster Bash but uh, we ended up going with the silhouette inserts cuz uh it it works a lot nicer for RGB lighting. <laughs> but um yeah, it's it's pretty close to what it is is, you're you're just you're solving the cases like it's each episode. So you'll start a case, you'll start your minor 49er case and then you'll solve that and unmask him and you're unmasking all of these villains to try and get to the wizard mode. So there's seven main villains that are across that center row of inserts. And then the five gang members beneath them, because each of them in the future will have their own modes as well. And then um, we're also introducing a lot of supplemental monsters that will be added later as kind of secondary modes and side modes, fun, extra things uh, including like ghost clown and the mummy and Snow Ghost, things like that. But uh, that the primary group of seven down there, those are the main modes and villains of the game that you have to go and unmask to progress through. And I,
0: I did hear you on Pinball Show saying that the code was going to be a lot further along on Scooby Doo than it was on Halloween. How, how, I guess, how far along are you hoping to have it once this starts getting to people's homes?
2: Right. So by the time this is hitting people's homes, they will have the seven main modes in the game, the seven main monster modes. They will have Scooby snack, multi-ball mystery machine, multi-ball and uh captain Cutler multi-ball. Cause captain Cutler is a main mode. He's also a secondary multi-ball that you can just go up, bash him, start that. Um, there's other features involving like the bravery meter and things like that. Uh, the codes significantly further along than Halloween was at launch. Um, Obviously that was one of our main focuses for when the game gets to people's homes is it can't it's got to be better than Halloween and Ultraman was. like just simply put needs to be further along, needs to be more fun, presented better on screen. everything needed to be better and a 100% absolutely is. And I'm very very excited for people to see, an actual live stream of it because I know there's quite a few people out there who that's what they're waiting for. They want to see where the code is. They want to see more gameplay. They want to see a live stream or they want to play it in person themselves. And those are all perfectly fine things. Those are all, you should do that before buying a game. That makes perfect sense to go do. It's, it, and I, I, encourage people to do so. So I'm very excited for them to see that. Uh, It's just taking a little bit of time to get to because of a lot of licensing and negotiation reasons that we can't really talk about, but it's absolutely coming. And I think people are going to be more than satisfied with what we get to them.
0: Well, in a follow-up question, I assume this is going to be kind of spooky practice going forward, right? On your, on your future games, you're going to try to be this far along with code on, on every release that you have after this as well.
2: Further. Yeah. I mean, uh, we, we hired Eric Prepke and Ben Heck to, to code games as well. And they're, they're both coding games. Like they, those games should be further along than Scooby is at launch. Every year, it's going to keep getting better. That's the primary goal. Since Halloween, one of our main goals has been how can we make sure we're further ahead than we have been? Because we've always been notoriously behind on quite a few of those things. And, and that's something that I think we've done really well in just a year is catching up and getting years ahead, because it's it's completely necessary. You, you have to get further ahead, especially, like I said earlier, with how LCDs have completely changed the game. There's The workload is so much higher on programmers now to get the LCD functioning and looking good and working right. And then that's not even to mention like how deep code needs to be now compared to how it used to be as well. And yeah, they're absolutely killing it. I mean, I'm sure Ben Heck is tweeting about it, which he probably shouldn't be, but <laughs> I'm sure he's tweeting every day about how far along on his game <laughs> he is right now. And uh, he's he's absolutely knocking out of the park. He's doing great. So yeah, going forward, th- that's going to keep getting better for sure because we recognize that it needed to be. We, we heard everybody loud and clear.
1: So what is your favorite shot in the game?
2: Ooh, my hands down favorite shot. I think the reaction of the the bash toy of captain cutler is the most satisfying hitting the helmet and it rocking back and forth with the sound design that we have on it with um the the magnets throwing it around after that it all together makes for the best most rewarding shot in the game otherwise just spamming the the heck out of that center ramp is so satisfying just one after another i i could sit there and hit it all day long it's so smooth (laughs)
1: And how do the different, you you have three different editions. So let's go over those different editions. So you have the standard edition, and then you have the bloodsuckers edition, and then you have the collector's edition. So tell me what people get uh, when they level up to each edition.
2: Right. So it'll be tough for me to remember this all off the top of my head, but I can definitely get most of it. Uh, I'll start with the collector's edition. So the collector's edition you will have custom cut creeper armor powder coated in that green color. The whole cabinet is a custom art package from Jeff Zornow. Uh, the play field has, I think it's 16 sculpts total, I want to say. Uh, so you'll have the mine cart Scooby, the miner 49er in the, his minecart cart as well coming down that habit trail. You'll have Charlie the Robot. You'll have, let me think, <laughs> uh, you'll have the Black Knight sculpt, you'll have the Mine Entrance sculpt, you'll have the Abandoned Airfield sign, all of those things. You'll have custom-cut powder-coated speaker grills with Scooby and Zombie. You'll have the light-up topper, uh, speaker kit, interior graphics, um, I'm trying to think what else, uh, custom launch button. Uh I a lot of stuff, <laughs> and then basically all of our differences between the editions is purely cosmetic. We don't change mechs out between games. We don't we don't want to change gameplay or anything like that. Um, we like to keep that the same between models. We just like to make the collectors pretty. <laughs> so in, in the sure. Bloodsucker and Standard cabinet, you have the Mystery Machine cabinet as opposed to the custom art package. So the whole cabinet looks like the Mystery Machine, which was a long discussion in the shop as to to what to do there because there was a handful of guys that were like, well, that makes more sense as the CE. That's cooler. And then there was guys that wanted the, the art package instead, which I, I was in favor of art package on the CE because I, I just think it's custom and looks a lot nicer. But and then on the Bloodsucker, you'll have the I, I believe it's the Rainbow River powder coat. Um, all the habit trails in the game are the rainbow river powder coat as well. While in the CE, they're the multicolored for each of the members of the gang. Um, and in the Bloodsucker, we take out the sculpts like Charlie, the robot and the, the black Knight and mine entrance and signs like that. The, there's no topper. There is speaker grills that are powder coated, but they are not the zombie chasing Scooby. Uh, no CE plaque. It's a Bloodsucker plaque instead, Um, I think that covers it on that one. And then the standard is just pretty bare bones. It's, it's a matte black finish on the powder coat, uh, uh, for the, the armor, as well as all the habit trails in the game. Uh, no sculpts other than the mystery machine, the castle, Captain Cutler and the Scooby barrel. Um, trying to think what else is taken out of the standard, no interior graphics, no light up kit, knocker shaker, all those things, no topper. Um, otherwise, like I said, gameplay. All the same across the board, because we don't like to change that up. We want to make sure everybody has the same experience. And uh, otherwise, there is a breakdown of all the differences between the games on our Facebook page. I'm not sure if it's on the website yet or not. It should be. but I I uh, I didn't see
1: it on the website, but I do see it on like I've been looking a lot at the Pinball News article. So the yeah, yeah, they they have like a, a matrix breakdown on that, too.
2: Yep and it's on our Instagram as well. So it it's floating around out there everywhere. Uh we definitely should get it onto our our Facebook or our, our company or uh, the website, sorry. Uh and I do believe in the descriptions of each machine. It says what the differences are on our website as well cuz I definitely probably missed a few things there.
1: <laughs> okay. And how many are you making of each?
2: Uh, so we don't limit uh, our additions to any numbers. It's okay. it's all open. There's a total unit limit. There's 1,969 that are going to be made. We okay. let the customers decide. They can all buy CES. They can all buy Bloodsuckers standards. Oh, that's it, nice. We, we that's leave nice. it up to the customer because we don't. We th- we just want everybody who wants the game to get the game. You know, right. we don't want to exclude a whole bunch of people out from something because there was only 500. And then the rest are all a different version. So Mm
1: -hmm. and can you uh, is this something you can share? What has been the most popular edition so far?
2: Ooh, I don't know if I'm supposed to or not, but why not? Uh, The CE is definitely the most popular. It's 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 the prettiest one. The same thing happened in Halloween and Ultraman. Same thing happened in Rick and Morty. Uh, People, they they just want the nicest looking version of the game. And that's that keeps being the trend so far. I I I I would choose that.
1: Uh, I I'm a sucker for for the way a game looks and the you really did make it look really cool with the collectors edition.
2: I appreciate that. Thank you.
1: Well, in addition to Scooby-Doo, I that you there are other other things available. Like you are doing a rerun of TNA right now too. And so yep. there are there are options that people if they want, you know, they <laughs> couldn't get the original TNA, that I, I'm assuming you still have some of those available too.
2: Yeah. The funniest thing on the day that we started selling Scooby and we were watching the website and, and t- checking in with our distributors about how sales were going and and whatnot, two people did buy a TNA that day. Yeah. <laughs> and well, it was just so funny for some reason. Like you're looking at the website and it's like another one gone, another one gone. Wow. This is crazy. Somebody just bought a TNA. Okay, that's weird. But it's just they picked the oddest day. Like somebody the morning before sales started ordered like a beanie and some leggings. We were like, yeah, they're just sneaking in real quick before everything gets crazy.
1: So and, and leggings too. I, I I am actually on your website, and so there I'm a sucker for uh, strange merch. Uh, I do like the spooky pinball leggings. I'm gonna get Josh a pair for his uh, for his Christmas present. You know it and. Uh, and yeah. there's hats. You can wear it in our next
2: interview. <laughs> absolutely.
1: Uh, the spooky uh, plastic pint glasses with color changes, LED bottom. I mean, who doesn't need that?
0: So you guys haven't been to Expo for a while. I know we're kind of moving away from uh, Scooby-Doo for a second. I, you guys haven't been to Expo for a while. What made you decide to come back this year?
2: Um, it's obviously a, a very important show. I mean, it's probably one of the biggest industry shows if not the biggest it's it's very close it's right in our neck of the woods and uh man a lot of people yelled at us for not going last year <laughs> so we ah. wanted to make an effort to come out this year and, and see everybody and i i've always loved shows it's it's one of my favorite parts of the job is just I, traveling the country you get to see a lot of people that you don't see that often and I, I, I love talking to people who buy our games and answering questions and give, helping them if something's wrong or or anything like that. I absolutely love doing the shows. And uh, we'll definitely be back to Expo next year. We're hoping to do a few new shows this year. I can't say which ones yet because it's not confirmed. But we, we definitely want to make the rounds and, and get to some places we haven't had our faces at before.
1: Uh, A lot of other pinball manufacturers have seemed to, even we saw Jersey Jack just move to the Chicago area. I mean, they're all within like throwing distance of each other. You're still, I I don't know, Chicago adjacent, but you're not like you're, you're not there, but you're still within a driving distance of that. Have you ever considered uh, getting closer to the manufacturing hub?
2: Not for a second. Nope. (laughs) We have. Okay an absolutely sweet deal here in Benton. I mean, people, it's in the documentary that they sold us the land for our first shop for a dollar and they continue to treat us that well. And we we have more than enough employees in town here and, and who drive from all the neighboring towns as well to to produce the numbers that we're doing. We all live here, we've all grown up here. I still live in Benton. It's it's where I grew up and uh we just there's no need to go to chicago no desire uh, we, we have a pretty sweet deal in Benton. uh
1: now and another question though is uh because you have decided to to stay away like what are the advantages of uh because you're close enough the in you're like how Who's your major like resource? Do you still uh, have a good, big partnership with Pinball Life? Do you get a lot of your stuff uh, shipping in from uh, China like everybody else? Or uh, how is your process?
2: So we are still very close with Pinball Life. We do a ton of business with them, like a ton. We, We pick up parts every other week, still every single week. We just drive down. It's only a two hour drive to get there, to get all our parts there. Um, we have some neighboring businesses just within 20 minutes of our factory that supply us with other things. And then also, we we do a lot with... Uh, sorry, one second. Uh, we also have a lot in-house. We, we try to keep as much of it in-house as possible because it just makes for a lot easier, especially with how... Supply chain has gone since COVID. That's a big thing that was really scary when it hit. We were fortunate enough to get ahead of it because we we heard about how bad it might get. But there's no better way to make sure you have parts than to make them yourself. But uh, yeah, we still have a very close relationship with Pinball Life and, and plenty of other notable pinball brands and companies and whatnot. But yeah, uh, it just being where we are, it hasn't really affected business negatively at all for us. It's really been great.
0: I was gonna say, you guys have been expanding a lot over the years that you guys have been up and going. You don't feel like the, where you guys live has limited your resources for the workforce either.
2: Not at all. Nope. We we're sitting about 38, 39 employees. I mean, it's, it's, it's never been an issue getting people in the door. Uh, There's a lot of neighboring towns that just spooky pinball sounds like a cool place to work, you know? Yeah.
1: So it, when you put a game on the line, OK, and, you know, it's like an assembly line, like everything else, like you go from point A to point B and all the way to point uh, Z. Like, how long does it take to get it, it when all things are, are greased and everything's going? Uh, like, how long does it take to get to the, from the start of the line to the putting in a box?
2: Right. So. Uh, When Halloween was at peak production, we were getting 40 games a week for about two months there. So 10 a day. We do four-day work weeks, so 10 games every day. Uh, Departments are kind of broken down by days. So like your playfields will get over to playfield wiring, which gets over to cabinets, which gets over to final assembly, which gets over to inspection. Mm
0: -hmm. So you
2: just account that each department has to get those 10 a day, and then- Mm -hmm that each department feeds the next department's work for their next day. So everybody's kind of within a a four to five day split of each other. Okay. And then, yeah, when that's running at full speed, like we had it in Halloween Ultraman 40 a week was, was the max that we hit. Um, and it was, it was very sustainable for about two months there, I would say something like that. And uh, yeah, it's, really shocking <laughs> we never would have thought we would be doing 40 games a week you know five years ago
0: that's awesome well you guys have been pretty good to pump these out pretty quick and your usual 18 month timeline has kind of shortened down because of it mm-hmm. is 18 month always going just to be the goal or are you guys as you grow and expand and you're you're knocking these out quicker you're gonna try to shorten that 18 month to a different window
2: right so 18 months is like the safest answer we can give where if anything goes wrong, we can still get it done in that time. I I would like to brag a little bit that we've always beaten that timeline every single time. We've never ever missed a production schedule in the history of the company. And that's definitely something we can keep doing. It's it should never be an issue. I hope, knock on wood. <laughs> mm-hmm. You never know. World's crazy, but uh so when we say eighteen months, we we would like to shoot to get that done much quicker because I I know I wouldn't want to wait eighteen months either. It's it's way too long, but it's, it's the safest time that we can get.
0: Well, that's that's smart too because you don't want to oversell and underperform. It's easier exactly. to to give people to uh, go above their expectations, and so that, that's a good a good business practice. Now, uh, over Spooky's history,
1: um, I, I've counted them up. This is technically your 10th game. You have America's Most Haunted, Rob Zombie. Then you have the Dominoes and the Jetsons. Then you have uh, Total Nuclear Annihilation, Alice Cooper's Nightmare Castle, Rick and Morty, Halloween, Ultraman, and now Scooby-Doo. What have you learned through each of the processes? And so this is the 10th time you're going through this. Um, how does one build change? and and like the lessons you learn
2: man i mean i could if if we've really gotten into all the details this could be a 12-hour podcast i mean (laughs) just the the difference Uh, once scooby-doos are out there set a scooby-doo next to an amh and and you can see all that we've learned and grown i mean every single new game we get to we learn a hundred plus things from the old one about how everything can be done better I, I don't know a, a better way to really say it I mean just down to like on Scooby-Doo now we have light boards that's something we've never done before and we know it's going to help immensely well compared to like Rick and Morty TNA Halloween doing lights was always something that took a lot of time in the wiring department and is a lot of extra work light boards should hopefully streamline that and speed it up everything like that just learning hey like what departments are slowed down by what and how can we fix those and make them better and then you see how that affects them. And then you just keep looking at it. Okay, now that they're really good at what they're doing here, again, what's still slowing them down that we could make even better and just getting it down and down and down until everybody's really cruising. But um, just everything is absolutely massive what you learn between games. I mean, one of, the, one of the biggest things we learned between Halloween and Ultraman to, to Scooby now is just where the expectations of code are. And that's just one of the main things we're going to focus on making better. And then when this one's out and people get it, we're going to judge the reaction and then still keep growing upon that. And that goes from the code side, the animations, speech, call outs, rules, production. It, it goes everywhere. And it's it's a never ending process to say the least.
0: Looking at Scooby-Doo, it's pretty packed with mechs. You guys have done an awesome job to make this thing, you know, from top to bottom, have something almost every square inch of the game. Do you have any concerns of quality issues going forward, though? Because once you put more moving parts into a system, you have more liability of, of stuff breaking.
2: So that is something that we really emphasized on making sure was was better because we've done some really packed games with mechs before that, you know, reliability and serviceability were, were pretty rough and we don't want everything. We're, we're going to make more of these than we've made any game, hopefully. We need them to work better. So when we design things, we design them in a way that is what is going to ensure that this doesn't break or break. If it does break, it's very serviceable and accessible. That was a huge thing for us on like Halloween was, okay, well, there's three upper play fields. These are going to have to be accessible. You have to be able to get to them. And there's servos and mechs, and they, they all need to be accessible and very simple to fix. Because there's a lot of mechs in pinball that look absolutely crazy but when you actually get to the meat and potatoes of it they're pretty simple to work on and fix and so that's something that when we're designing we really emphasize is that it's not hard to fix because we know how pinball is and we want our games to break less and we want them that when they break that they're easy to fix
1: with the unknown of people doing collector's edition people doing standard people doing uh the bloodsuckers how do you how do you account for that in the build? Because it, it seems that I love what you're doing. Because if you want the collector's edition, you can get the collector's edition. But that that does throw a little more complications into your planning.
2: Yeah. So are you talking like as far as supply chain goes? Yeah, supply chain.
1: Yeah, having the parts. I mean, it, it's it's kind of hard to predict. Oh, well, we're gonna have a thousand uh, collector's edition and five hundred uh, uh, bloodsuckers, and then you know. Hundred sixty nine to the stand, or, or something like that. Right, that that radically changes your inventory.
2: Yeah. So, and that's just something where you know it it might get you one day, but um, so far you just kind of have to really base it off of what your last game did. So, like, you base it off of the split from Rick and Morty. You base it off of the split of Halloween Ultraman, and then you just don't over order. You can't over order, but you can't under order when you're doing those things. So you just have to really find what you think is a safe number to get started. And then after a little bit into the build, you get the you start getting ready to order what the rest would be. And you'll typically have a pretty good idea of what that split's gonna be. Worst case scenario, I get to have like 750 Charlie the Robots in my bedroom someday. <laughs> and that'll make for a pretty cool decoration. That's worst awesome. case scenario. <laughs>
1: We are coming into the Christmas season. Uh, Now you have had historically because of your awesome place to work. You do shut down for a week between Christmas and new year's. Yes, we do. And so like, what are your goals until whatever the 23rd, when you're actually shutting down, shutting the doors, what is your, uh, what is your, what what would you consider a successful December?
2: So, the, the current plan is we're going to be wrapping up the TNAs that we have left to build. We're going to be absolutely going through the shop and cleaning and gutting it and making sure that it's as ready for Scooby production as possible. We're, we're getting all of our parts in order for Scooby so that it's all sitting there ready to go. And uh, we're kind of slowly working our way into getting that started. Uh, we, we've said multiple times online, we like to hold on to the, the first batch of 30 and really test them and make sure that they're built the way that we want it for production going through. Um, I can't ask for a better December than we've been having, honestly. I mean, the the fact that we were able to get the game out when we did and, and the fact that we were able to, to take sales and get TNA close to finished up and then kind of go into that break. And then we all know that when we come back, it's absolutely, it's, it's go time. I, I think it's been an absolutely perfect December so far.
0: I I don't know if I have any more questions. Do you have any more questions, Scott? No, I, I, I guess. Uh, so th- the
1: final question I want to do is, okay, so let's look into the future. Where do you see spooky in two years?
2: Where do I see spooky in two years? Um, you know, it. That's a good question. Hopefully, still making pinball. That would be the best that would case be number
0: scenario.
2: one. Yes. yes. <laughs> um, no, I. I mean, I know what we have planned over the next two years, and I can't really say <laughs> what those things are. But I, I would like to see us, of course, still getting games done on time, uh, further code, better designs i mean obviously I, I think each of our last two designs they keep getting better and are some of the best that we've ever had i would like to see them keep getting better uh, we're in a really healthy spot right now i mean i i like where production is i like our schedule I, I like how everything is looking and we've been growing 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 and we aren't going to necessarily stop growing but i can't say that we're gonna plan on doing Ten thousand units of of something in the next year you know
0: i was gonna say i really do have to congratulate spooky and your whole team because i feel like out of the small distributor or the small manufacturers you guys are definitely doing it right you are delivering on your demands of you know you said 18 months you're, you're you're under that every window um you you come through on your product that you're making and because of the way that you guys run your business it, COVID really didn't affect you guys like it it probably was scary but you guys were you were able to work through it and it doesn't seem like you had as much hiccups as as some of your fellow competitors.
2: Yeah, we got very fortunate with that and um I really uh, the main thing that COVID affected was just the fact that we were shut down for that couple months that everybody was shut down. I mean nobody went in, nobody made any games in that time. But once we got back, like I said, we still beat the production deadline and got it done. And kind of how we talked about how we organize our parts and production and everything like that earlier, we, we were really set up in a good spot to get through COVID just fine. And we only hit a couple hiccups along the way, really. And uh, like I said, it still hasn't affected a production deadline yet, so it should stay the same.
1: When do you anticipate us being able to see gameplay?
2: So, yeah, gameplay, obviously, we all want to get gameplay out as soon as possible and show everybody the code and show everybody how it plays, obviously. Uh, With how marketing goes and licensing and whatnot and with the holidays right now, it's really hard to say exactly when it's going to be because a lot of those things just simply won't get looked at until the new year. But this January, you're definitely going to see gameplay. You're definitely going to see a dead flip live stream, where we're going to go in details about everything in the game and play for a few hours. And uh, everybody will be able to to see everything that they're asking to see. It's it's our number one priority. We want to get it out to everybody as soon as possible, because we know that's what everybody is, is begging to see. And it totally makes sense. 100% get why it is. So we're going to be working on getting that out as soon as possible.
0: Perfect. Well, I want to thank you, Bug, for coming on. This has been really awesome. I hope we didn't put you through the ringer too much. Um, We really appreciate you coming on and answering all of our questions. And a personal thank you for me to you, for you and Spooky stepping up and helping us with flipping the script on autism. And you guys even went above and beyond. I know that uh, a lot of the stuff you guys had donated to the stream, uh, when the people received it, you gave them even more. It was like a swag bag per person that received all their stuff. And they were all very happy with what you guys had done for the, our flipping the script on the autism. So thank you again for helping out in that capacity as well for, for our event.
2: It's our pleasure. Hit us up anytime that you need anything for stuff like that. We're, we're always, I would like to get more involved if we could with more things like that. I I wish more people would reach out. (laughs) Well,
1: speaking of that, if they want to reach out and get in touch with you, what's the best way to do it?
2: So, uh, depending on what aspect you are reaching out for, primarily squirrel at spooky pinball.com is the best place to send questions and things like that. Uh, otherwise I'm, my email is bug bug at spooky pinball.com. You can reach out to that anytime you need to. Uh, uh, we're very active on pin side. If you're on pin side, you can, uh, private message. Any of us, we're all on there. Um, what else? Th- those are the primary places that you can reach out. I would say.
1: Okay. And I, I I think we've got you the uh, the loser kid 1.0 hat, but we're gonna get you some 2.0 hats so you can uh, p- pass around at the office.
2: Heck yeah! I need new hats. I keep I I have a cycle where I just routinely run through pinball hats that have been gifted to me. I'm working on my tilt Minneapolis <laughs> hat right now, and uh, it was white at one point. It's not so white anymore, so I'll be ready to move on to my next All one. Right, soon.
1: Well, I'm wearing <laughs> the current version, and the current version is
0: black, and so it stays it stays looking nice for a while yeah <laughs> well if you want to get a hold of us we are loser kid pinball podcast at gmail.com also you can get a hold of us on the socials at loser kid pinball podcast on facebook instagram twitter and twitch uh, we are excited to have a couple more interviews over the next couple of weeks and the 100th episode is coming up and so it's gonna be awesome Woo-hoo. got anything else for us
1: you got anything else for us, Scott? No, I, j- I just hope everybody sincerely has a safe and happy holiday time. And if you're lonely, go and play some pinball with some friends. I mean, really, it, it can be hard for a lot of people. And so just reach out to your friends who may not have uh, the same sort of
0: support system that you have. And if you don't want to uh, wish someone a, a specific holiday, you can always say Happy Christmas Hanukkah, hmm And Festivus. <laughs> the Festivus for the rest of us.